Thank you for your son's blood and the sacrifice you made. Just pray that this morning our hearts, affection, and minds, attention would be solely focused on you as we dive into your word. Teach us this morning through Zach. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the uh, pastors that I enjoy listening to sometimes is a, is a pastor named Alistair Begg. He's the pastor of uh, Parkside Church in in Ohio, outside of Cleveland, and um, one of the main reasons I like listening to Alistair Begg is that he's Scottish, and uh, he can like say something that anyone else can say, and it just sounds way more epic, right? It's like, if, if somebody else can read it, it's a 10, he says it, it's a 100, right? And it's just, he's a, he's a great communicator, he's, he's, a, uh, he's, he's fun to listen to, and he tells the story uh, that one time, he was asked to speak at Harvard, and it wasn't a, a necessarily a school-sponsored event, but it was at Harvard there in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and he's there, and he's on the campus, and he's just kind of in this intellectual environment, and, and he sees lostness, and it's this um, universalist kind of ideas that come with, with so much in the secular world, and um, man, everything seems to be accepted there except the gospel, except the way of Jesus, and he's, he's getting ready to, to preach, he's just like questioning, what am I doing here, um, is this a waste of time, like what students are going to come hear me, why am I here, and so he's up early, he's, he's putting the finishing um, touches on his sermon, and he's sitting in a restaurant, and, and it's kind of this big open space, but it's inside, and he's sags down his head in, in discouragement, and at that moment, a sparrow comes and lands on um, the, the chair beside him, indoors, and he's like, what's this bird doing inside? And his mind goes to the fact that, man, if the Lord cares for just the little sparrow that can be sold for two pennies, how much more does he care for you? And he looks up, and he sees across the aisle from him this young Korean lady, and she's reading something, and he thinks it looks like a Bible. And so, in that moment, he just decides, I'm, I'm going to talk to her. And he, he speaks to her and, and says, are you reading the Bible? And she says, yes, yes, I am. And uh, he said, well, young lady, where are you from? And she says, well, I'm, I'm from Korea, and um, I'm, I'm going to school here. And he said, were you a Christian before you came? And she said, no. I found the narrow way here. Now, he said in that moment, it was the most encouraging thing to him because here someone had come to Korea to this secular campus and had found Christ. And the way that she worded it, she said, I found the narrow way. He said, I had never heard anybody use that terminology before, the narrow way. Today in our text, we see a call to the narrow ways of Christ. We see a call to the narrow ways of uh, of Jesus. And it is my prayer that today uh, somebody, someone would find the narrow way, the way that leads to eternal life. So as we open up God's word today, um, the big truth that I want us to walk away with is this. Salvation comes when you hear the gospel, repent of your sins, and place your faith in Jesus as Lord. 
Our text is Luke chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 22 through 35, finishing uh, Luke chapter 13. We've been now in Luke for uh, some time. And in our time in Luke, our most recent time in Luke, uh, Jesus is calling his audience, primarily Jewish people, Israelites, to repentance. He, he said, repent or perish. He's ministering to the downtrodden, the outcast, those who need healing, and he's preaching to the masses. If you'll remember last week, I said that uh, last week as Jesus uh, was preaching in the synagogue, it was likely one of the last times that he's preached in the synagogues because now he is, he's gone out to the highways and the byways. He's preaching in the roadsides and the ditches. He's, he's preaching in rural areas, anybody who will come and listen, and great crowds are going uh, to come. Uh, he is towards the, the end of his three-year ministry, but as far as the text goes, we still have a ton of text because the details uh, increase in the coming months and even in the last week of Jesus' life. And so here we go in verse, uh, starting in Luke 13, verse 22. Luke records for us, <coughs> He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching... And journeying towards Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. People will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. That very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often when I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so we see in verse 22, he's no longer preaching in the synagogues, that he's going throughout the towns, throughout the villages, um, the highways and the hedges. He is, he is out from there. He's no longer um, going to teach in the synagogues. And someone asked him. And um, I, I would say that there's a, a, a good chance that the person who asked this question knows uh, the, the Jewish custom, the Israelites' teaching, uh, probably from the ancient text, the Talmud, that 
if you are born of the nation of Israel, if you are ethnically Jewish, then the opinion would be that you are saved, that you are part of God's chosen people. And so Jesus is asked this question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? He says to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So here's my first big idea. Salvation is for those who enter by the narrow door of faith. Salvation comes by faith. It comes by hearing the gospel proclaimed and by believing in that gospel. Salvation is by faith. But yet when we look here, what does Jesus answer? He says, strive to enter the narrow door. And so when we see the word strive, uh, we, we need to think, what, is it, what does it mean to strive, to, to work at something, to be diligent at something? The Greek root um, would be to agonize here. So he's saying agonize over this. So wait a second, you're saying uh, here Jesus says strive, but you're saying it's by faith. Uh, strive seems to have the connotation that we would work this out, that we would work at salvation, but you're saying it's by faith. It is by faith. We see in the rest of Scripture over and over and over that salvation comes by faith. But that faith, what God works in our heart, works out. Our faith is a working faith. Our faith is that our belief leads to action. It leads us to search and, and, and find. It leads us to fight for our faith. It leads us into opening up God's Word and striving and doing what it says. It leads us to cry and to plead with God. The Apostle Paul kind of gives us some clarity to, to this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Now, again, look at that word obeyed. Obeyed is an action, right? It's a work. It is a doing. As you've always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In, in this same kind of sense of striving or agonizing, here he's saying, work out your faith with fear and trembling. But then listen. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so here is this paradox in our faith, that it is by faith that you are saved. It is by grace through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not by works so that any man should boast, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. But it is also that, Paul says, but you were created for good works which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in them that you would do them so this narrow door the difference in the narrow door and the wide door the, the wide door is 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 a is a door that comes without repentance without a turning from it's it's a claiming the ways of the world and it can look different we're going to talk about the, all the different ways in the wide door but the the narrow door is saying i have faith that it's in jesus and because of that i'm changing the way that i live my life the way that i live my life is going to be different i'm going to live it by faith galatians 2 20 paul paul says i've been crucified with christ 
It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. For the life I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. And so the narrow door is living by faith in the Son of God, no longer doing the works of the flesh, but striving, working out our faith with fear and, and trembling to, to glorify God, to seek God. And God will be glorified, and it will be for our good. And so salvation is for those who enter by the narrow door of faith. This is what he says in verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you began to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all workers of evil. Here's my next big idea. Damnation is for those who enter by the wide door of self-justification. So, hold those two big ideas up in contrast in your mind. Salvation is for those who enter by the narrow door of faith. Damnation, so the opposite of salvation, is for those who enter by the wide door of self-justification. I mentioned Alistair Begg in the, the intro uh, this morning. Back in May of this year, I actually got to meet Alistair Begg, and he and I became really good friends. Um, my, one of my mentors, Dr. Herschel York, who I worked for, for for 13 years, and who's our sending church pastor and has such investment in, in us, was invited to go speak at Alistair Begg's church. They have a basics conference for pastors, and pastors come from all over to this conference, and Herschel's going to be the keynote speaker. So he, he called me and said, hey, I'm going to speak at this. Uh, I've got a house and all the meals and stuff are provided. Can you just, if you can get here, I'd love for you to hang out with me and spend some time with me during this conference. I get to go go with you. And I was like, man, that, that sounds great. And I was excited to go. I wasn't really necessarily excited to, to, to go to Cleveland, Ohio. Um, if you're from Cleveland, Ohio, I'm great. I love, lo, good for you. Glad you got to Fort Collins. The same, same as me. Like, got here as soon as we could. It's not like a glorious place. And I can't imagine that snow and that hard winter. Um, Anyway, I go and uh, I get to spend time with Dr. York, and it, it, it was great. But we would go and um, we get to go eat with Alistair, and we would sit down. And um, here, here's the truth there are like, I don't know, 500,000 people in the room. And I think the closest I ever got from Alistair was about three tables, right? I was like three tables away from him. But hey, I ate with Alistair Begg. And um, uh, a little bit later, like I was working. With I would be beside Herschel, and somebody would come up and was like trying to talk, and he had a line of people wanting to talk to him. I'd like kind of screen and move guys around and pray for him. I was kind of helping him out, and people would inevitably come up and they'd want to have their picture taken with Herschel and Alistair, and I and so um, I really quickly realized my place, and my place was to be the person taking the picture, and so I would get people's phones, and I'm like taking their picture. One of my buddies snapped a picture of me. Um, taken their picture and sent it to me, and I was like, all right, I know my place. This is my place right here. That's them. This is me. Uh, it, it was good. So imagine, uh, and I got to meet Alistair. I shook his hand. Imagine that um, I went to Alistair's house, and I knocked on his door. 
Uh, by the way, I, I figured out where he lived because when I was running one morning, I ran by his house, and it said beg. I was like, oh, that's, that's where he lives. And so um, imagine if I knocked on his door, and uh, he, like, hits the ring doorbell camera, and it's like, who are you? And I, I hey, I'm your, I'm your friend Zach. We met at the basics conference. We had dinner together. And he would go, um, I don't remember that. I was like, oh, I was in the room. I was three tables away. And he would say, yeah, and there were also 500 other people in the room. I go, well, well I, I, I took that picture of you. Well, lots of people took a picture of me, right? Like, I, I, you took a picture, so, so what? I don't know you. I'm not letting you in my house. Then I go, listen, I know Herschel York. He'd probably say, I think you're crazy. Go away. <laughs> like, I'm calling the cops if you don't leave. You are not saved by proximity. You are not saved by anything other than a relationship with Jesus. It, my, just as my proximity to Herschel, my proximity of being in the same room to Alistair doesn't give me a relationship with Alistair Begg. I don't know Alistair Begg. Is the same way that with Jesus, like, your parents having faith, having knowing Christians, being raised in a Christian family, attending a Christian church, knowing people who know Jesus doesn't mean that you know Jesus. It is, it is a relationship that, that is, is, is built. It is faith in Christ. It is, it is the relationship that comes by faith that saves. And so notice I say that Damnation is for those who enter the wide door of self-justification. Now, I, I, could have, I could have used that big idea, and I could have replaced self-justification with a number of other things. Damnation is for those who enter by the wide, wide door of idolatry, the worship of false gods, or I, I could have said another things. But listen, the reason I say self-justification is because that's what they did. Hey, but... But you preached in our streets. We dined with you. We, we, know, we know you. We know who you are. You don't know who we are? Jesus, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, um, remember, G Jesus is like any other preacher. He would preach the same stories in different, different places, and he would change them up. And Matthew chapter 7, he says this. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's the same thing. It, it's, it's still, they've tried to be in the wide door and they use proximity to think that they have a key or a way into heaven. We are really good at self-justification. Uh, you may be sitting here today thinking, I deserve to go to heaven because. Right? And then you start naming. I, I deserve to go to heaven because. And you start filling in the blanks. And unless you say, I deserve to go to heaven. Actually, you should not say you deserve to go to heaven. I get to go to heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and he reconciled me unto himself. It's not about what we do. It's not about our works. It's not about the things that we do to earn favor or grace with God. We don't. No, self-justification is the wide door. It is what we lean to. And listen, people 
try to, to try to justify their their way into heaven all sorts of ways. Did I not go to church? Did I not give to the church? Did, did I not do X, Y, or Z? Did I not do this for you, God? Um, many of you have heard me talk about my brother. Um, my brother uh, passed away about a year and a half ago, and um, he came to faith in literally on his deathbed. Uh, if you know, know about the story in the scripture of the 11th hour worker, the, par- the parable of the 11th hour worker, I would consider my brother to be an 11th hour worker. For years, I had shared the gospel with my brother, and I had, I had pleaded with my brother to come to Christ. And he was, would, would justify all the reasons why he lives a good life. And, and why he would deserve to go to heaven and why it would be okay. The big man would look down on him and it'd be all right. And here's the kind of things that he would say. Well, I'm a conservationist. I help take care of the planet. I, you know, I, I do these things. I, when, I'm in, when I see trash, I'm in the woods and I see trash, I pick it up. And I've helped with, uh, I, I've given to this fund to help with this wildlife population. And, you know, I, I remember in the 90s, uh, well, we're saving the whales. You know, it's like, that would be the justification. There, there are things that people do way apart from anything that we see in Scripture where they're still just trying to justify why we are good. And I want you to understand that the Scriptures say that that is not going to lead where you think it's going to lead. It's going to lead to damnation, which means uh, to go to hell. Listen to this. Verse 28. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Here's my next big idea. Hell is more unbearable than we can imagine. So much of human history, humans, whether Christian or not, have believed in the idea of an afterlife. So many people have believed in that, that idea that there is a heaven and there is a hell. The Bible is clear about it, and the Bible teaches that there is life after death, and that it is either in heaven with God or it is in hell. When we see Scripture uh, teach about hell, we see it described many ways, and every time it sounds absolutely awful. You know, I don't consider myself to be a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher, um, but today maybe. Um, today, I would, I would warn you that it is going to be awful, that the weeping and gnashing of teeth is, is describing how bad that it is going to be. That, it, that we see that it's a, it's, it's a place of torment. It's a place of, that would, would be as if we're thinking we're thro- thrown into the hot, hottest fire and it perpetually is burning us, that that is what hell would be like. For them, he's saying, for, for you... Israelites, Jews, you're looking in and you're seeing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, the fathers of your faith, in heaven. You're going to see the prophets, the the prophets that you can quote, they're going to be in heaven, but you're not getting in. They're going to realize that the, the, the fathers of their faith had a different faith than they had. That they had 
it, their faith had been corrupted, the teaching had been corrupted, and they were, they were trusting in their own works of righteousness. They were trusting in their ability to uphold and to keep the law. It won't just be them. It will be people from every generation, every time throughout history that they get there and they realize there was a path that was narrow and there was a way to take it. Many who heard the gospel and rejected it will know and realize what could have been. That they could have been with Christ. They could have been with God. Theologians often say that the worst thing about hell won't be any of the the, the things that we kind of visualize, in, in, whether it be fire or burning or torbidding, the weeping or gnashing of teeth, the worst thing will be the absence of the presence of the love of God. You see, God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. And so it's hard for us to wrap our man, uh, mind around the fact that God is everywhere, that, that, that the world and time and everything else exists inside of God that heaven exists inside of God, that hell exists inside of God. So you can't say, that, well, you're, you're not without the presence of God. No, you're in the presence of God's wrath and God's judgment. You are separated from the presence of the love of God, which is the opposite of heaven. Those who are saved will get to experience the eternal love of God. And what we see in Scripture is very clear that one seems unbearable unbear and one seems unimaginably good. So there's a choice to make. There's a choice. Are you, are you picking the ways of the world, the wide ways of the world? Are you going to choose the narrow way of the kingdom of God? And this is what he says. This is good news. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. So here's the, the next big idea is the kingdom of God turns the principles of the world upside down. The world is this wide way and it says this is the way. The kingdom of God says no, this is narrow and this is the kingdom of this is this is the way. This is this is the kingdom. And it turns the principles upside down. That those who would be first in the eyes of the world would be last. So I think there's an immediate principle here. He's saying to the Jewish, this Jewish audience. He's saying to the, the people who have a heritage and a lineage from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People are coming from east and west and north and south. The Gentiles are going to be allowed in. The non-Jewish people are, are coming. They're, they're, God is going to move and save. He's save, using me to save them to reconcile others. This covenant that I have with you is expanding. The new covenant. The new covenant is going beyond you. It was beyond them to begin with, right? It was, it was always by faith in God. That was always the path of salvation. It was faith that God could save. Faith in the Messiah uh, to come. That's always where salvation would come from. We look and we can see in the Old Testament how Gentile people were saved. We can look at examples like Rahab or maybe uh, the Ninevites. We see it in different places. But it was by faith. And he's saying, I'm expanding this. But also, those who will be first are going to be last and last who are first. That in your synagogues, you've got this what we would kind of think of as like good old boy or country club culture where you've got the, the leaders of the synagogues, but let the little uh, widowed, 
poor lady walk in and where does she get to sit? Does she get ushered up to the front to get the good seat? Does she get any attention to her? Does she get loved and cared for? Oh no, but she gets rejected. She's outcast. And in the kingdom of God, she gets to be first. The leper gets to be first. The, the person who's far from, far from uh, the, the cultural norm gets to be first. The kingdom of God turns those principles upside down in the world. I think that when we get to heaven, um, we're not going to be looking around like wondering who's there. We're going to be we're going to be in so much awe of who God is that we are worshiping Him, and it's going to be amazing. But let's just take our kind of little worldly muddled up thought process to heaven real quick. You get there and you walk in and you, you start looking around and you're like, "Oh, there's that person. There's that person." And you, you look over and you're like, "What are you doing here? How'd you get in?" And then you turn around and you look and you see somebody, you're like, but where's that person? Where's Phil? Man, I had my money on Phil. I thought Phil would be here. You know, at Phil's funeral, I thought, surely I'll see that guy in heaven. But there's no Phil. Where's Phil? Why? Now, I don't think that's really going to happen. But, but in, our, in our minds, it's kind of like we put people on pedestals and we think because people look a certain way, act a certain way, show up to church. And then we see other people, and we're like, oh, man, that dude's got tattoos. That dude's got this. That dude's that. That woman's this. That woman's that. Look at her history. Look at, look at all the things that she's done. What's the difference? Faith is the difference. That you can grow up your whole entire life and be a part of cultural Christianity and be in a family of Christians without having faith in Jesus yourself. That it's totally possible that, that you grow up having heard the gospel but never believe it and never accept it. Here you have a, a, a Jewish people. You have Pharisees and lawyers and, and rulers who had the Torah. They had all the signs that pointed to a Messiah. And the Messiah came and they rejected him. And they had adopted these principles of the world. And yet here, Jesus is turning it upside down. At the very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. These Pharisees, Jesus was messing up things in their region. I'm sure that they were like, let's get this guy to Jerusalem as fast as we can. They'll take care of him down there. <laughs> right? They're pretty, they're pretty good at taking care of the preachers and the prophets. They'll, they'll, they'll kill this guy. But they didn't want him there. So Herod's going to kill you. Herod wants to kill you. And listen to what Jesus says. Go and tell that fox. <laughs> That's a brave thing to say, isn't it? Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. And so he's saying, right, here I am in your, in your territory taking care of business. I am, I am casting out demons. I am curing. I am doing good work for your people. I'm going to do this today and tomorrow. I'm going to finish my course. On the third day I'm going to go and take care of it. Here's my next big idea. Jesus willingly came to die on the cross for our sins to reconcile those who believe. When they come to Jesus and they say to him, get away from here, they're acting like they're doing a good thing, right? Like, oh, Jesus, you better go. I've heard Herod wants to kill you. 
Now, whether or not that, we don't even know if that's true. We don't even know if Herod had sniffed it out at that point. This is what we know. Was Herod willing to kill a prophet? Oh, yeah. This isn't, so this isn't the same Herod that tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. This is, this is Herod that killed John the Baptist. This is Herod the, the Tetrarch. And remember the story of John the Baptist when he's got a wife and a, and a daughter, and, and he ends up, to, to, please, to please his one wife, they ends up with fulfilling the daughter's wish and gets John the Baptist out of prison and puts his head on a platter. Like, this is who we're talking about. And Jesus, Jesus replies, go tell that fox, right? That seems like a pretty good way to get killed by a dictator, right? <laughs> Call him a fox. And, and he's not scared to die. Why? He willingly came to die on the cross for our sins to reconcile those who believe. He knew at that moment that it wasn't his time appointed to die. Jesus knew that he would die in Jerusalem. Jesus knew that he would go and pay the, pay the price for our sins. He's hinting to that there. I'm going to do my work, and on the third day, I'm going to take care of business. He's, he's, pointing, he's pointing forward and painting a picture that he's going to rise from the dead on the third day. Jesus was not scared of the cross. It was the point. The point in him coming was to reconcile those who believe to him. He willingly laid down his life. Verse 33. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. That's him saying, this is where I must go to die. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets in stone stones those who are sent to it. Now, what you have to know about Jerusalem, it's, it's, the, it's the anointed city. It's the capital city. If Israel, right now, uh, Jerusalem, the, the nations of Israel, all the different tribes, they're in dispersion. The Roman government's got stuff. They're not in, in control. They're, they, the, they want a Messiah to come in and to be this political king that sets their country back free. They're, they, they're thinking in terms of, of political state. They're not thinking in spiritual uh, terms necessarily. And so when Jesus is saying Jerusalem, he's not just saying the actual city and the, the leaders of that city. He's saying uh, the, the, the capital of Israel, the capital, the, the center of the Israelites, the, the, the synagogues, the, the, the temple, all that would encase, in, in everything that would represent the nation of Israel. And this is where you kill your prophets. This is who you're stoned. We can read about that in Zechariah and Jeremiah. You can read about it throughout the Old Testament. And then listen to what he says. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. Now I tell you, you will not say, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I've spent um, quite, a, quite a bit of time uh, up in up in the high country, and when you're up in the high country, and you'll start, especially in thick timber, you'll start running into to blue grouse or uh, dusty grouse that they're also called. And um, our family likes to backpack, and we'll go up in the summer and we'll backpack. And um, multiple times we've run across these hens, these these grouse hens, 
and they'll have little chicks. And when they have little chicks, you'll see them. You'll see them. They'll put their wings out, and chickens will do this too. Turkeys will do it. Other birds will do it. But mainly, mainly birds who spend most of their time on the ground um, uh, will, will do this, where they'll gather their, their little chicklets, their little babies in, and they'll put their wings over them. So it could be to shelter them from the sun. It could be shelter them from the storm, from, from hail, from rain, those kind of things. They also, generally as they do that, they're guarding from predators. And so uh, they, they bring in and they protect with their wings. The psalmists, uh, they, they use this imagery quite a bit as well. You can see this in the book of Psalms. That we had, the psalm that we read today, it was a psalm that said, you know, guard us in the shadow of your wings. Just as a hen would bring in her chicks and protect them, so guard them. And Jesus is saying, I would do this. I would have brought you in. Uh, matter of fact, uh, as they hear this, as, as a, a Jewish person would have hear this, this is something they would hear often. Uh, because in their routine and their different ways of praying, uh, there were certain prayers they would do where the father of the house would take his prayer shawl and he would hold it out like wings and he would get the, his, his children and his family in and he would pray a prayer of protection over his family. And so this, this is imagery that they would know and they would understand. And he's saying, many times I would have brought you in and done this, but you rejected me. Behold, because you rejected me, your house is forsaken. Man, we get to look forward in Scripture. We get to go forward in Scripture. And we know that, that did Jesus die at the hands of the Roman government? Yes. Did he die at the hands of the Roman government because the Jews wanted him dead? Yes. Remember, the, the Pontius Pilate, it was like, hey, here's Barabbas. I'm giving this guy, this guy's not done anything wrong. I'm giving him a way out. Uh, we'll give you Barabbas. And what did they say? But crucify him. Crucify him. They wanted Jesus dead. The, the Jerusalem wanted Jesus dead. The Jews wanted him dead. And he said, so you are forsaken. And and, and here, salvation is, is going to change. And we see how this plays out in the rest of Scripture. But I think there's great personal application here. That Christ is willing to bring you into the shadow of his wings. Don't reject Christ. Believe the gospel and be saved today. Believe that Jesus Christ came to the earth to die for sinners like you and like me. I did that backwards. That he came. He lived a perfect and spotless life. He did the very things that we weren't able to do. That he willingly went to the cross. That he was crucified. That he took our sin. That he was buried he was dead, he was buried, and he raised to, was raised to life on the third day. And that those who believe in him will be saved. There's one time in particular that our family was backpacking. It was the summer of 2020. It was right before the Cameron Peak fire. It's actually in an area that burnt. We're walking along, we're coming along, and our dog Allie, she's a, a, a yellow lab and she's like basically a house dog. She's very domesticated. Occasionally, she will get on a bird, and like her instincts will kick back up, and she'll act like a bird dog ought to act. 
Well, the Talmud was very unfortunate because here is this grouse and she's got these chicks and she's guarding them and Allie gets wind of it and Allie just takes off after her. She's going to get it. And I don't have her on a leash. We're in the wilderness. We're on a leash. And do you know what that mom does? She hops straight up in the air and lands and starts hopping off, holding one wing as if something is wrong with her wing. She was going to willingly sacrifice her life so that those chicks could live. I called the dog off. I got the dog back. Every, every, every grouse was okay. All right. I, I did not clarify that in the first service. She flies back over to her chicks, and she gets them, and they go on their merry way. But isn't there beauty in that that mother was willing to lay down the li her life for her chicks, and so was Christ willing to lay down his life for us? That he who knew no sin would willingly go to the cross and take on our sin and our shame that we might be reconciled to God, that might, we might be able to know God, to have a relationship with God. I invite you into that relationship today to believe it is by grace through faith that you may be saved, by placing your faith and trust in Christ. Now, the Bible is very clear that once we, once we call Jesus Lord, it means we begin to obey him. It means we choose the narrow way. And the, the first thing that we do, the first act of obedience that you do when you make Jesus Lord of your life is that you tell the world that you're one of his through baptism. Baptism is, is how we show, hey, we're, we're Christians. We, we, are, we identify with Christ. We have a relationship with him. We're not just living in proximity, but our faith is real. It's how we show the world, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I've buried, been therefore buried with Jesus in baptism and raised to walk in this new way of life. That that, that baptismal pool is is our tomb, and we're saying we died to ourselves, and we're raised to walk in this narrow way of life, the way that life that is, that is with Jesus. If that's you, if you've recently or, or never placed your faith and trust in Christ, or you've never been baptized and you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, we'd love to talk to you. Brandon, Garrett, myself, Andrew, Randy, any of us would love to meet with you this week, and we'd love to see you to take that next step in baptism. I'm going to ask you this morning to go to the Lord with me in prayer as we finish. So, Father, we love you, and we thank you for your word, and that it's true, and that it's right, and that it's good. Lord, we thank you that you are for us. You are not against us. Lord, we thank you that you made a way for us, that you sent your son Jesus to reconcile us unto you, that we no longer have to give sacrifices. We no longer have to keep the the old covenant system, but in the new covenant, you were the sacrifice. You were the atoning work for our sin. You're the substitution that you paid the price. Lord, I pray that today that you would save, today that you would move and work, and Lord, that you would change us from the inside out, that we would be a people who strive, who work out our faith with fear and trembling, who obey you and live for you each and every day. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.